Don't you just sense the, the power of God's Spirit in this place this morning and knowing that He is here? One thing that I always remind myself of and want to remind you as well is that God knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows everything, every detail about your life. And, and he is concerned more than anybody else in this world or universe. He is concerned about your life and, uh, and every detail of your life here this morning. So my prayer has been that you would open your heart this morning and that you would just hear the word of the Lord and let God really tr- truly minister to you uh, in the message. I, you know, when I prepare messages, and I, I kind of have an idea of a direction I want to go, but it seems like as I'm studying, preparing, God just gives me certain things that just kind of surprises me as well. And, and this morning is one of those messages, even though we're in our series, Joy uh, in the Desert, I wanted to speak to you very specifically. I'm going to take just one verse out of Philippians uh, chapter 3. As we go into, in this third part of this series, it's called Joy in Believing. There's something about when we know what we believe, and there's a deep-seated conviction of what we know that we believe in the Word of God that brings such stability to our lives. I read recently a very moving story about Bart Campalo. Many of you would remember uh, his father, Tony Campalo, was probably one of the most prominent evangelical preachers in the last 50 years who impacted presidents and government in this nation with his life, his testimony, his word, his teaching, and he's written several books that also impacted the kingdom in in really amazing ways. And his son Bart was no less of a charismatic preacher and and leader within the church. And Bart Gampalum in 2011 was riding his bike um, uh, in Ohio down a country road and and hit some soft dirt, and it just launched him, and he hit head first into a tree, and it broke, cracked his helmet in four different places. They found him wandering around in the middle of the highway, just delirious and uh, by the accident, and took him to the hospital. And after he began to regain his uh, senses, the story says that for most of his life, um, Campalo and his father had gone from success to success, and and everything, but the younger Campalo had developed a reputation of his own, even like his father, and with ministry and, and uh, across the country. And, and then after this accident, his wife Marty had long entertained doubts about Christianity. In fact, her and her husband both, Bart, and like many of you, maybe, at points and moments of our life, it's like, am I really in the right place? I mean, do I really know what I believe about the Bible and God? And, and sometimes our frustrations and fears, sometimes our disappointments and the things, we, we begin to even question our faith. And it's almost embarrassing for a lot of believers to say that there's been seasons or moments in my life where I, I question God and I question my faith. And we wouldn't even want to share that with anybody. And this particular man and his wife were in that in she said that the truth was he had been breaking up with God for a long time. And I, I, she said, I, when I took off on the bicycle that day, Bart Campalo says the supernaturalism of my faith was dialed so far down you could barely notice it. And he said it had been many years since God or Jesus had, was a resurrection peace and, and the frequent fellowship of the dinners that we hosted. And talk instead was always about love and friendship. And And then he said, after his near-death experience, his wife told him more bluntly than she had ever had what she thought was going on. She said, you know, 
I think you got to just stop being a professional Christian since you don't even believe in God and you don't believe in heaven. You don't believe Jesus rose from the dead three days after dying. And you know what? Neither do I. And in the honesty of her heart, I mean, it, this, this prom shocking moment that she's sharing this with her husband, and he said, I knew she was right, and I began telling friends that, that um, I'm a post-Christian now. People were saying, yeah, we've known this a long time. And he says, why did it take you so long to figure this out? And he becomes this post-Christian, and he stopped believing, and now he leads a movement on the University of Southern California campus, basically teaching and preaching secular humanism and atheism, and he has a strong following. And he said, I'm the pastor of this group. And he made this radical shift of being this prominent charismatic leader of the faith to literally seeing his faith shipwrecked. And now it's like, I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. He believes in universal totalitarianism. He, he basically is just saying that everybody is saved. And his theology just be, it became upended, literally, and I believe it's because there wasn't this valid, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, he thought he knew what he believed, but he found out he really didn't know what he believed. And my message this morning is that there's joy in believing. And why is there joy in believing? It's because when we really know what we believe and that the words of Scripture that, that Jesus spoke to us bring such life and transformation to us that literally we can build our life on that foundation, and that's the foundation that gets us through every trial, every test, everything that we go through, and even when there's those moments where we question God or maybe even question our faith, it's like, I know that I know that I know what I believe. Somebody say amen to that. And that's why many of you here this morning, it's like, I know what I believe, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and yes, he was raised from the dead on the third day. It, it's the cornerstone of our faith. And sometimes we lack those corner, that cornerstone of our faith as we begin to question. And Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1, I want you to look at this verse with me. It says, whatever happens, whatever happens. Now, that's a strong statement. He's basically saying in the beginning of this chapter, no matter what happens, I want you to hear this. And we have said this to friends and family. We have said this to bring a sense of security and stability to people. It's like, no matter what happens, I want you to know that I will always love you. No matter what happens, I want you to know I will always be there for you. I remember when I was a little boy, my mother saying to me that I, we were questioning, I don't know why, my, my brothers and I, we were questioning the love of my parents. It's like we were proposing these, these questions to them, like, well, what if we end up in prison? Would you still love us? And my dad is looking at us like, what? Do you plan on ending up in prison? I'm like, well, no, but what, what if? And I remember my parents saying very vividly that, listen, whatever happens, if you end up in prison, God forbid, but if you do end up in prison, we're going to love you just as much as you're standing behind those, those, in that cell, behind those bars. We will continue to love you no matter what. And they would use that statement that whatever happens, I will always be there for you. And Paul is saying here, Whatever happens, and he calls them my dear brothers and my dear sisters, speaking of that intimate relationship that he has with the church, that he has with them, rejoice in the Lord. He said, I never get tired. I never get weary. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. 
Now, this is a powerful verse because it brings the essence of stability and strength that we need to hear that here is the Apostle Paul, here's the word of the Lord, here's Father God speaking to us uh, through Paul in these words that I'm never gonna get tired of telling you these things and I wanna speak to you this morning about these things that make such a dramatic difference in our life, in our jobs, in our families, in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's these things that Paul says, I'll never get tired of telling you. I'm never going to get tired of telling my kids that I love them. I'll never get tired of that. I want to affirm them. They know that I love them, but they need to hear it over and over again. We need to hear it over and over again that God loves us. Nothing will separate us from his love. We need to hear these things to safeguard our faith. And I do it to bring this safeguard. No matter what happens... I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. You could take that statement, no matter what happens, I will always love you. No matter what happens as you go through tribulation, I will be there with you. I will lift you up. And no matter what happens, I'll never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. No matter what happens, I am coming again for you. And you could just put that phrase in front of so many different scriptures to bring a sense of stability in our life, no matter what happens. These things... I'm never going to get tired of telling you when I, I was looking at this scripture and I'm trying to evaluate, well, Paul, what is Paul saying? What are these things? And he goes into the discourse of Philippians about rejoicing and he lays out some things in his teaching to the church of Philippi, but these are teachings that with the, the Romans, with the Colossians, with the Corinthians, it's the similar and same teachings that he emphasizes. And I begin to realize that there's some core values that Paul is sharing with all of those churches that in an apostolic manner that he planted, that he helped grow, that he nurtured, and he literally gave his life for those churches and for those people that came to Christ through the message of the gospel of just preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. And I could call them maybe I'm trying to evaluate or I'm, I'm assuming what some of Paul's core values are. And I want to just try to help you to visualize this morning that maybe his core values or his belief are these things that I never get tired because I want to safeguard your faith. When Paul says in Timothy that all of those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, well, I'm not being persecuted in the sense of being thrown into jail or beaten, all the kinds of persecution that he went through. We haven't seen that in our nation, although parts of the world, they're being physically persecuted, imprisoned, and even killed for their faith. But I think in the United States of America that there's a huge assault on our faith, on our belief system, our core values as a church, where heady theologians are, and philosophers are questioning the very basics of the gospel that we stand upon that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He came to, he was supernaturally conceived that he lived on this earth. He died on a cross for our sin. He was raised from the dead on the third day and he's coming back again for a church without spot or wrinkle. Those are basics that are being really hi highlighted and even questioned are they really true? And there's an attack and assault on our faith. The very these things that Paul is talking about to safeguard our faith. 
And I believe that it's really important for us to be able to, to solidify our foundation of who we are, what we believe. And I believe one of the first core values that was important to Paul that you see him share throughout all of the epistles is that the cross is everything. The cross is everything, 1 Corinthians 1.18. He said the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. They laugh at it. They scoff at it. The persecution of our faith oftentimes is when they make the jokes about the Christians, the jokes about the church, and they have no idea that when they see a cross and, and it symbolizes Jesus giving his life for us and they make all of these absurd jokes about it. But Paul's saying, yeah, it's foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But to whom we are being saved, we know it is the very power of God. That if I could preach a message on a weekly basis or, or, or weave into my message, there has to be a part of that, that it's about the cross of Jesus Christ, that uh, honestly, every week that I face different challenges in my faith and things where I come into assault or come into attack or I might even slip into that moment or that place where I begin to question, God, do you hear me? God, are you real? God, do you see what's happening here? And, and I begin to have maybe some, some almost embarrassing doubts about my own belief system and my faith, I always come back to the cross and I lay things at the cross constantly and I go back there and I say, Lord, I surrender this at the foot of the cross before you because I know that you died for these things, Lord, that your blood is powerful and just as fresh today as it was 2,000 years ago. And it's those encounters at the cross and what's interesting about the cross, the closer you get to the cross, the lonelier it becomes. And that's the truth. Yet it's where I find my solace and strength. It's where I find truth that undergirds me. And I realize that it's at the cross, this ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made. And I believe that was a core value of Paul's belief that he over and over again preached and taught and emphasized with the church and wants to do it. This is one of these things that he's emphasizing. The cross is everything. Amen. I believe another one would be that grace rules. Grace rules, Romans 5.21. So he says, just as sin ruled over all the people, including I brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace, he calls it a, a wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wonderful grace that rules. And I believe that that was one of the, those things that he over and over again with the church's emphasize, you cannot save yourself. You cannot salvage that situation in your own ability or intellect or your own strength or power or counsel, that it's only by my grace that will lift up a situation like that, a hopeless situation. It's only my grace that will undergird you and lift you up and you think, how did that happen? How did God give me the breakthrough? How did God give me the answer? It's just the grace of God. It's a gift. You can't earn it. Grace will always rule and you've got to get this in your spirit that when you get in those situations that grace is what's going to rule and to get you through the scenario and we are so prideful wanting to do it ourselves so that we can get a little bit of the credit thinking mm, yeah I did that I got through that I worked my way through that I figured that out but you know what God intentionally puts us in places sometimes where I can't figure this out and the Lord's like that's great you can't figure it out but I've already got it figured out and my grace will get you through it hallelujah I've got to figure it out. That's, that's a core value. That's a belief. That's a conviction that will get you through so many situations. And again, it's, it's, it's grace, the Bible says, by faith. 
grace by faith. I come to the cross. The cross is everything. And it's grace, this grace rules in my life each and every day. And more than ever, the church needs to understand. We need to understand that we need to be a church of grace where it's like, you know what, God's grace will rule in this situation. That's all I can say. We don't need to figure out. Let me just take you um, off the hook here. You don't have to figure it out by yourself. He's already figured it out. He just says, walk by faith each and every day. And let my grace rule in your life. Amen? It's so much easier to live a grace-filled life. It's a whole lot easier. And it's so simple, but yet it can be so difficult to embrace it. Because of our humanness and our pride. But God just said, it's grace. It's a gift. You don't deserve it. It's grace. Number three, God is for us, Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things? Paul says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? In other words, you got a big brother. You've got a bodyguard that will always be with you. <laughs> you know, God is for you. He's not against you. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to get through all of the things that you've gone through. He wants you to overcome. He's with us. He's not against us. And so many scriptures, I think this is such an important value. It's one of these things that he says, I want to give you to help safeguard your faith. When all else fails, when people fail you, God won't fail you. God is with us. He's with you. He's with your marriage. He's with your children. God, God is in every situation. We've got to embrace that, that he is with us. And nothing will separate us from his eternal love. Number four, endure. Just suffer through suffering. Second Timothy, what is Paul saying here? Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's not a popular teaching. I've heard many of your stories here. I'm getting to know many of you in the church, and, and, I, and I've heard of, of some of the hellish things and unjustified, unfair, unrighteous things that have happened in your life. You were innocent as children or growing up, and some terrible tragedies or abuses happened in your life, and, and I'm amazed at God, of how you were able to come to the cross, experience his grace, and gain that knowledge that God is with me. But Paul also taught that you're going to suffer if you live godly in Christ Jesus. It's a part of the Christian experience. It's a part of the adventure. It's a part, there's one thing about suffering, it's seasons, it doesn't last forever. There's seasons that we suffer with our faith. Sometimes we're in that moment where it's like, God, are you out there? And we're questioning our faith in the Lord sometimes. That's a suffering moment. And Paul says, I want you to be like a good soldier. And I want you just to endure the suffering, embrace it. He says to the Philippian church, take joy in it. Just rejoice. It's only for a season. That it's a part of the Christian experience that will temper our faith. It's a part of the Christian experience that helps us to understand the word in such a way that we can just take the word like off the page and apply it to our life and say, I'm going to stand upon this word, this truth, knowing it, it will set me free, that it's going to be God's grace that lifts me up in this situation. And through suffering sometimes, it helps us to stop looking out at everybody else and their problems and how they've done this to me and they've done that to me and 
everybody's against me. And when we get to that point of suffering, finally we get on our knees and we look up and say, God, I'm just going to gaze and look at you and the things of heaven and the things of your word. And all of a sudden our perspective changes and then Jesus begins to give us the breakthrough when we lift up our eyes, not just even in the natural, but our heart and we lift up and say, I'm just going to trust you. Trust in him with all your heart. Don't lean on your own intellect and understanding. He'll direct your paths in this. Suffer through the suffering. And then number five, I I think the prize is Jesus. He says in this same chapter, Philippians 3.14, I'm just going to press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. Paul talks about it in Timothy. It's a crown of righteousness. It's a crown of glory. I'm going to tell you, you know, when we come into that place and he places a crown on our head like kings and priests in the kingdom, and then we'll take the crown and we'll cast it at his feet and worship him in spirit and in truth. What is the prize that we're after here? What's the goal? What, what's the end game? Why do we do this? Why do we gather together like this? And why do we share Christ? And why do we serve? Because Jesus is the prize. He's worth it. He's done so much for my life. He's given my life, and the least that I can do is give my life. I've been bought with a price, the Bible says, and Paul says, you've been purchased with a price through the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And that's the prize. That's why we are compelled to do what we do. It's Jesus. A National Community Church in Washington, D.C., has a great belief and a core value that says we ought to be more known for what we're for more than what we're against. Paul didn't boycott the Areopagus, but he walked into the marketplace of ideas and he competed for the truth. In other words, he went in there and says, let me share truth from the heart of God, from the word of God with you. He competed for the truth in the marketplace. That's one of the belief systems he's calling us to do. That I don't want to be so caught up in, in what, you know, battling all these objectives of, of what I'm against, but let me tell you what I'm for. I'm for the Son of God, his name is Jesus, who came to this world that undeniably gave his life and was raised from the dead on the third day. And that the Bible says that if we put our faith in him, we will be saved. That if we just call upon the name of the Lord, be saved. That we believe in him, we'll be saved and put our faith in him. And his grace becomes literally alive in our life. He, he activates his grace in our heart and our spirit and our emotions. And we begin to live this grace grace-filled life that's transforming. And he says, I'm doing this. I never get tired of sharing these things. I gave you five, but there's many more. Five prominent ones to safeguard your faith. The most heartbreaking news is to hear about a believer whose faith was shipwrecked. Unfortunately, the statistic that Young people that grew up in the church, and they were steeped in the things of the Lord. They were discipled in the church. And they go to a secular university, and unfortunately, the statistic says that 80 to 85% of them walk away from their faith by the time they graduate from college. Their faith is shipwrecked. 
We're losing eight out of 10 of some of our most prominent leaders. The enemy is literally snatching them and, and, and destroying their destiny in the kingdom of a, being a threat against the enemy. And eight out of 10, that says something to us of what is happening and the kind of persecution and the assault against those whose faith has been literally shipwrecked through some of the teachings um, in our intellectual universities and on that. And it's so important more than ever that our kids and our youth, that they're grounded in the things of God, and that we pray dramatic and passionate prayers for our young people, that they won't bow down to the things of the world, they won't bow down to the teachings and the doctrines of this world that will cause their faith to be shipwrecked, and Paul's saying, I'm never going to get tired. You may be getting sick of hearing it, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he rose from the grave. You might get kind of weird, it's like, oh no, here they go again, they're saying the thing, but I'm not going to get tired of saying these things, because these are the things that will guard your faith, Hallelujah. These are the things. And I think Paul understood in this that whatever happens, he was just a no-nonsense kind of guy. Like, I'm just going to give it to you straight, my dear brothers and sisters. I want you just to, re if you just rejoice, rejoice in this so I can safeguard your faith. Values and beliefs are a part of us. They highlight what we stand for. And we, we need to know what we believe. Part of my mission is to help inspire you to discover what is it you really believe. I want you to believe the word of God because it, it's infallible. Don't believe, or you know, you have to agree with my opinions or my personal theology, but what I want you to do is I want you to discover the infallible word of God for your life because that's what's going to sustain you. That's what's going to break you through. That's what's going to give you such great revelation for your life and, and for your future. It, it highlights these value and beliefs are part of us. It, it highlights what we stand for. It, it guides our behavior. And I want to give you a challenge this morning. I'm going to write a blog this week on five personal core values for myself and my family. I'm going to put it in a blog and put it online. You'll be able to read it. You could Google, like, how do I develop personal core values? You could just Google that, and it'll bring up all kinds of articles on how you can develop it. And I think this is truly important because I think that Paul understood this, and he had certain core values. But I want you as a family, we have core, five core values in the church and we've preached on them, we've taught on them, but I think it's important for every believer to at least have three to five core values that, that guide your decisions, that guide your life, that these things are non-negotiable. Are you with me? These are non-negotiable values and beliefs that I have in my life that, that supersede in everything, and when I make decisions, when I move forward, and everything that I do, I think an example of a core value is that I'm going to love God with all of my heart, my soul, and my strength no matter what happens. I'm just going to keep loving him. That's a core value. And it's based on a biblical value and, and conviction. And I want to challenge you to do that. Albert Einstein said he had a, a really interesting view on life. He's brilliant. He's a genius. But I believe this was really a, an important core value of his. He said possessions, outward success, publicity, luxury. To me... These have always been contemptible. It's like, it's not a big deal. It's not what I strive for. It's not who I am. But he said, I believe. 
And, and I, I, that gets my attention when somebody says, I believe something, that a simple and unassuming manner of life is best for everyone. Just simple, unassuming, best for the body and for the mind. Of course, he leaves out the spirit part. <laughs> but this guy had a belief system. He had personal values that he believed in. Your core values, your beliefs, it, it defines who you are. And with the church... The core values define the company's character and the brand and all that. But individuals' character is destiny. For organizations, culture is destiny. We're creating a culture based on our values here. But, and I'm going to do later this year a series on character. But our character is our destiny. What you believe will set a course for your destiny. And I think that Paul had such a grasp on this that I know that the church struggles and I know they make mistakes and I know that they're, they're kind of up and down and there's losses and there's gains and all of those things that happen that if, if Paul could just say these things, I'm never gonna get tired of these things to safeguard your faith and whatever happens, I want you to rejoice in this and then he shares these things that you know whatever happens, I want you to know that as your pastor that I wanna keep my heart pure, that I wanna preach the word of God to you and what the Lord gives to me and whatever happens, I want you to know that Bridget and I are for you. We love you. We want you to succeed. That's servant leadership. That, that, that's a core value that we have. That We want to set everybody up to be successful in the kingdom and their belief system and to really thrive and to grow as a believer. That's what we're here is to help train, to help equip, and then hopefully release you to do what God has called you to do in your destiny. That's what we do. That's not negotiable. And those non-negotiable items and beliefs that we have are very important for us to understand. There are certain lines that I don't cross. There are certain things that I don't do. There's, there's just certain, I guess you could call them standards. And I think that the church has lost its maybe attention span for how important standards are because of legalism. We have removed a lot of teachings about standards and purity and all those things. But you, do you know that it's purity that releases power in the church? It's purity that releases power in our life and God wants us to attain higher levels of purity and raise the bar and the standards. of like, you're a believer. You're an ambassador of Christ, the Bible says. You represent Jesus Christ, and our standards need to fit that. And not that we push the limit. I met somebody the other day, and it's just like, you know, everybody wants a license to push the envelope and go as far to the edge as they can without, you know, actually sinning against the Lord. And, and Paul talks about that. I'm not giving you this concept of grace, which is a value and a belief and a biblical principle just to take advantage of that and just push the envelope as much as you can. But I want you to raise the bar, not in a legalistic way, but allowing the Holy Spirit to give you standards and, and raising the bar in your life that will draw you closer to Jesus, who is the prize, and will also give you a great level of authority and power to be able to minister to a lost and a dying world. Well, people will look at you and say, there's something about your life. There's something different about you that I don't know what it is, but I would like to have it in my life. Something that separates you from the rest of the world. It's called values. It's called core belief systems. It's something that it doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you higher in the sense, but it makes you different in the sense there's something about your character that's so attractive. It's like a magnet. People are drawn to your character. Not just your charisma and your gifts and your talents, but they're drawn to the character of your life. How did you get there? Well, I've got some values. 
I've got a belief system. It's real simple. And it's who I am. I don't compromise it. I, every decision I make, every step that I take is built on those just basic core values and beliefs of my life. And because a lot of people don't have that, they're everywhere, man. They're going to this church and they're going to that church and they're going there. And it's like they don't know what they want. And because they don't know what they believe, they just fall for everything. Everything that's popular, they'll go there. But they're not solid, they're not stable. And they want everybody to make decisions for them. And really the bottom line, I remember when I was struggling right out of college and, and when I went to the, the mission field and man, I was just, I was overwhelmed with the kind of decisions I want to make. Everybody's asking me, will you do this? Will you do that? Will you go there? And I'm like, well, I'm here to serve. Yes, 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 yes. And the yes, 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 yes brought me into a place of such exhaustion and even sickness that I thought I'm, I'm going to die here and never get married and have kids. This is not good. <laughs> And finally, a seasoned missionary pulled me aside one day in a room, and he said, Dane, I've watched you. Your heart is right. Your motives are pure. I know you want to serve, and you want to make an impact and everything, and you want to do all of these things. But let me tell you, son, something that you've got to learn and realize here. Only do what God tells you to do. That may sound arrogant. But Jesus, like, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And sometimes there were people that were sick in need of healing and salvation. And the Father spoke to him, and he would withdraw himself into the wilderness to pray. And the Lord said, enough is enough. You're done. Well, there's more people, Lord. There's more needs. It's okay. And he took him. He only did what the Father told him to do. He was just obedient to God. And Dr. Cho, the pastor of what today is the largest church in the world, nearly, I think, 900,000 people, and, and all over the world, I'd hear him speak many different times when I was a young man, and they would ask him the secret of his success in ministry, and he'd just always smile in his Korean accent, I pray and I obey. Anything else? <laughs> I pray and I obey. And I just sat there, and I'm like, I'm getting ready to write it all down, and I was like, okay. That makes sense. I just do what God, I feel God speaking to tell me to do. And all of this success would come out of that. What is God saying? But to know what God is saying, I think it's important to know what you believe. What do you believe? The core beliefs of your life. And I want to challenge you this week and I'm going to ask some of you, would you email it to, to myself or Bridget or maybe give it to me in writing? Three to five of your core beliefs that you feel God has given you that you want to just help direct your life, your future, your family, your marriage, and your home, that, you know, these beliefs. And I'm going to read some of them in future messages. I'm going to pull some of them out. I won't use your name unless you want me to. Now, if Bridget writes them up, I'll probably use her name because I... <laughs> But I want you to begin to, I want you to begin to really seriously go before the Lord and ask yourself, God, I want to know really what those core values are in my life. And I want to write them down. I want my life to be built on those biblical, and they, they need to be biblically based. Core values for your life. Very simple, very basic. And ask yourself the question. What do I believe? What do I really believe? And I think when you begin to do that, you'll begin to realize that you're a lot more 
secure and stable than you realize, but you just have allowed yourself or maybe some of your decisions to kind of maybe get off course when a captain's navigating a ship. You know, there's, he can't look at the waves and the wind and the storm. He's, he has set a course, and I think, Warren, you understand as a pilot, you know, you, you set a course to a destination, to a city, and you just, you stay the course. And if you don't, you're gonna be in trouble. And you trust your instruments, you, you, you trust your gut instincts as a pilot that those instruments aren't gonna lead me astray or tell me something wrong. And when I look at the Bible, it's like an instrument. It's like, this doesn't make sense right now where I'm at, but I know that this infallible word of God, this truth, is gonna help me navigate to my destination of where God wants me to be. And I'm, I'm gonna keep navigating according, according to this instrument and this word. And I'm, not, I'm gonna stop listening to other people, not that they're not important, but I, Lord, I'm gonna just pray and obey. What are you saying to me? <laughs> Pray and obey. And let God navigate your life through his word, his spoken word and his written word. And I promise you, if you do that, you'll get the answers and the breakthroughs and the solutions and you'll feel not self-confident, but you know what? You'll feel God-confident. I'm just confidence in my God. That's my prize, Jesus and my confidence is derived from him, who he is and his word. And it's not based on my talents or abilities or my intellect. It's just based on the infallible word of the Lord. As we begin to develop those kind of core values in our life, I think it would be so cool to see what some of you write out. Just do at least three, maybe five, not more than five. And begin, and sometimes it'll, it'll evolve and change over the span of your life. God will speak to you. But I don't want, I don't want my sons to ever come to a place of questioning their faith where they walk away from it and shipwreck. You don't want your kids to do that. I don't, I don't want my church, my flock, the, the, the sheep that God has entrusted me with ever to get to a place where it's like, I don't know if I believe this stuff anymore. It'd be so tragic. I don't want the people under my leadership to bow down to the idols of this world that will bring nothing but pain and heartache and disappointment, but only to bow down to the prize. And his name is Jesus, amen. Amen. Can I have the ushers just begin to distribute the communion? We're gonna go to the Lord's table. And as we do this, I thought it would be so fitting in a perfect scenario to be able to remember what he has done for this and this is such a core belief in the church is called an ordinance in the church it's an ordinance in the church is not an option it's a mandate that the Lord has given us Jesus himself said I don't want you to ever stop doing this I want you to always break bread and drink the cup and remember me and what I did for you and I think it has a lot to do with that core value that that Paul had about the cross is everything. Jesus understood that, that 
man, it's those cross moments that saved you and will keep saving you. Have you ever heard of that definition of salvation? I've been saved on that day that I gave my heart to Christ. I'm being saved today. God is saving me from, well, you know what God saves you from? Can I just be really honest with you? The biggest thing God saves you from? Yourself. <laughs> God is like, I'm going to save you from yourself. I've said that to my boys at times. I'm just, you know what, I'm making this, you don't like it, but I'm going to save you from yourself. And then we've been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. There's that confidence and security that I'm going to cross the finish line. I'm going to come face to face with Jesus, and he's going to put that crown of life on my head. I'm going to look back and say it was worth it all. And we see people in heaven. I promise you, we're going to see celebrities and athletes and people there. We thought, thank you. How in the world did they make it? <laughs> and you know what the Jesus, I think Jesus will say, it's my grace was free to everybody. It's a gift. I didn't reserve the gift of grace just for a certain group of people. But by grace, they just believed. But their life was such a mess and they, yeah. The cross will become more meaningful in heaven than it ever has been here on this earth. Do you know that? And God's grace is more special go through the hardest of times in our life. So when Jesus hung on the cross and he's being broken for sin, bondage, disease, sickness, bad decisions, rebellion, doubt, unbelief, list goes on and on and on. That's what was on his mind when he was being broken. And then when his blood was being spilled, what he saw and what the Father knew is as the blood is pouring down his face and his body as he's beaten and whipped and crucified. Forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration, grace, restoration, institution, grace. That's the prize. And so we come to the table. We can bring everything. It's like, God, I don't have the answers. It's okay. I, I have the answers. And you just need to rest in my grace.